Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Show, episode number 14. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now there's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So today I am so excited to welcome Emily Wieringa, and she is a mom, a wife, a writer, and she's written several books, and she also has an amazing story. So um, I'm looking forward to sharing her with you. At the end of our time together, I was just in awe of the things that she said because they so related to my own life. I I look forward to having you hear this and uh, also remember to pick up her book called Making It Home, which I had the privilege of reading and endorsing. So without further ado, here is Emily. Hi, everybody. This is Mary DeMuth with the Restory Show, and I have Emily Wieringa here today, and she's coming all the way from the northern hinterlands of Canada. And she's got an amazing story, and I'm really excited about having her share that with us today. So, hey, Emily, how are you doing? Hey, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Good. And I just noticed that uh, you have you have a bunch of kids. I, mean, I already knew that you had a bunch of kids, but uh, one of them just started to do something exciting recently. What happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our youngest, who is, she's turning one next in about eight days. She just started walking, so that's awesome. I've been praying that it would happen before a big trip that I have coming up, so it's always fun when they start to walk. It is fun and scary, but also fun. So I'm going to take readers back because they don't know who you are, or listeners back. Um, Readers probably do because they've read some of your books, but take us back to kind of your growing up years and what your life was like maybe prior to Christ and the meeting Christ, and and we'll just continue from there. Sure. Well, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in, all over Ontario. So, you know, I'm a disillusioned pastor's kid, I should say. <laughs> I, when I was about one and a half, I had started talking, just saying a few words. And then we moved to Africa, actually. We moved to Congo and then Nigeria. And my parents were missionaries with Christian Blind Mission. And I actually stopped speaking the whole time I was there and, until we got back, until I was four years old. Wow. Um, So it did give my parents a scare. Meanwhile, I was just absorbing. You know, my mom said I would just stand at the window and watch people for hours. Just Mm. watch, watch, watch. And I've always been a people watcher. But more than that, I was, you know, experiencing my my mother's sadness being there. You know, I was very aware that my mother did not love being there. I, I could just sense her sadness, and I and. But it was also awesome to have my dad come home at lunch times, and he would hang out with us and play with us, and then and then go back to his work. That was the most I would ever see my dad in my childhood is during that time. So it was a really good foundational experience in some ways. My brother was born there, and then we came back, and my dad attended school to become a pastor, and he worked nights at the skim milk factory. Hmm. And meanwhile, we were pretty poor. 
but you know, my mom always did her best making homemade bread and sewing our clothes, and we never lacked that way physically with our, our but emotionally it was quite um a vacant household emotionally. Uh, my mom had grown up not as a believer, not knowing how loved she was. Her mom struggled with a number of issues and just poured all her time into her hobbies and none into her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom doesn't remember ever being told she was loved, actually, or being told she was beautiful or anything. So, you know, she became a Christian when she went to university, but had a lot of baggage left over from her childhood that, you know, it takes a lifetime to unravel all that, to let go of all that baggage. So I grew up not knowing how loved I was. Not, I'm sure, like my parents would tell me sometimes, but it was a very, it was very much a fact, you know, Mm. um, not an expression so much. And, you know, my dad would give me a peck on the cheek in the morning and say, how was your night? And, And then go off to work. And it was just very, yeah, I didn't know that he enjoyed having me as his daughter. I didn't. And so I often felt like I was in people's way or that I was just a, a project to take care of versus a person to love. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. I was also the oldest of four children, so you end up taking care of a lot of your siblings and don't have a lot of time to play. And my mom has since apologized to me for that. You know, you just naturally put a lot of responsibility on your eldest. But when I was seven, my mom had actually put me into school. And the first day of kindergarten, you know, I just... I was so shy and insecure that I just, my teacher was quite um, abrasive and I just found myself in the bathroom stall crying and crying and not able to come out of the stall. So my mom came and got me and brought me home and she homeschooled me till grade five. And that wasn't a, like a big deal back then. Like now, like it's kind of a common thing to do, but back then that wasn't necessarily a common thing. No, it wasn't. It was quite, yeah, a different thing. And that didn't help my charity <laughs> <Yeah>. at all. <laughs> You're not different at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't have all the cool communities they have now for it. But anyway, she was just trying her best to take care of the situation. And, and I do appreciate it. She gave us a really good foundation for learning. But meanwhile, yeah, my insecurities increased. And it was around that age that a neighbor lady came over and said she commented my mom told me this later, that she commented on what a big girl I was. And I was right there. Like, you know, you you hear these things. And uh, so that just goes to your core. And when you're already insecure, you're just, yeah. So by the time age of nine, very, very, very insecure. And I had gone to England with my mom. She had taken me to visit my my nanny. And uh, I got sick with the flu. And I noticed when I got sick with the flu, that I got thinner because I wasn't eating. And, you know, I kind of liked how I, I looked. And I came back and, yeah, I decided to not, to keep not eating. Like I just would cut back at each meal. And mom and dad couldn't figure out what was wrong, took me to the doctors. He said to put me in school. You know, he said mm. maybe she's just lacking friends, and I was. So that was a good thing in some ways. But then at school, of course, you're surrounded by all these skinny, beautiful girls that you <laughs> compare yourself with. Yes. So there's a whole new playground, as it were. So I dove into anorexia nervosa. I didn't know that it was an eating disorder. I didn't. I had no clue. I just knew that my parents had told me it's not good to ask if you're beautiful because that's vain. We weren't allowed to 
see one another at all. Like skin was a sin. Like there's just shame in your body. Even undergarments, just you don't want to see them at all. It's just, there was such a stigma about your body. And then in addition to feeling big and in the way, you know, you start to try and get invisible. You start to try and remove yourself from people's lives. So their lives get easier and yours does too. And uh, meanwhile, I had heard my whole life that God loved me. I'd gotten baptized at age eight because I knew that was what my dad wanted me to do. And, but in the same way, if you don't feel your parents' love, it's hard to feel God's love True. when you're a child. Like, it's just because he's a father, right? And you understand it's hard to feel a father's love if your own dad doesn't feel very loving. So, Or you translate that to God and you think, well, if my dad's that way, then God must be absent mm-hmm. or unin- uninterested. Right. right. Yeah. Which, fair enough. You know, you're like, okay, I'll just pray and do because I was a good girl. I didn't want to go to hell, you know, mm-hmm. so you do what you have to do to get out of, stay out of hell. But there was no relationship there. And so, yeah, meanwhile, uh, things got progressively worse. I was put in Toronto Sick Kids Hospital and I was 11 and put there for one week. They said if I didn't get better by the end of the week, that I would have to obviously be put on IV. So I ate the last day and they let me out, and then it got worse, right? Because there's no holistic healing there. So I went home angrier than before because felt even more like just a case to be solved. And by the age of 13, I was... I got to the, I went away for the summer to my grandparents and that was not good for me because I did not have the watchful eyes of my parents giving me cod liver oil if I didn't eat supper or whatever. Ooh. Um, Whoa. Yeah, they tried everything. <laughs> How did that taste? <laughs> Awful. <laughs> I've heard Awful. that. Like a dead fish. Yeah. Oh, gross. <laughs> oh. But, so I went away for the summer, and um, my grandparents let me do whatever I wanted. So I ended up, by the end of that summer, I was eating, like, one slice of peach for breakfast, a couple pickles for lunch, and a spoonful of peas for supper. And I was exercising. You know, I was a skeleton, and mm. I did not see it. I was 60 pounds, but I would look in the mirror and not see what everyone else saw. When I look at photos now, I think... It's scary, but I didn't see that. And, and you can become quite blinded uh, to your own reflection. Why, why do you think, I'm just curious on that, like why do you think that distortion comes or what comes over your eyes when you look in the mirror and you, you're skin and bones, but your mind says you're not? How, does, how have you, as looking back on it, how did that happen or how do you, how do you describe that? I think, and this, I'm a big believer in spiritual warfare, but I do believe that you can start to believe lies so much that they become truth for you, so much that they transpire in front of you. Wow. Um, so it is very scary. So you were 13, you got back from your grandparents, you were eating a, a slice of peach and a couple <laughs> peas and, yeah. and some pickles. <laughs> yeah. And so I went home and my parents are like, you're going to the general hospital, you know, is it, we need help. And I remember seeing my friends for the first time when I got back and, and they cried. They mm. cried right in front of me and their parents came and pulled them away. Like I was a horrible, disfigured thing. And yeah, that didn't help either. But I also knew I became very aware that something was wrong. So on the way to the hospital, I had just stopped eating completely by that point. And yet my body miraculously wasn't losing any more weight. Like it was just trying to stay alive. I don't, I'm sure that was God's intervention. But on the way to the hospital, I remember looking out the window and it was my first time ever seeing like a vision. Mm -hmm. And I, I, 
I saw a woman, a real woman, you know, running, but I thought she was real. But I, I, I don't think she was. But I saw her running, and she was muscular and strong and beautiful mm-hmm. and just so confident. And I wanted that. I, I realized suddenly that what I was doing was I was dying, and she was living. And it became that clear. I wanted to live. And I've had people say, maybe that was you in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, God was just showing you, because I do run now, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so... I got to the hospital and they said if they said, you know, they took my measurements and they, they I was purple with hypothermia, mm. my hair was falling out, my nails were cracking. They said it's a miracle that you are alive. You either need to start eating right away or we're putting you on intravenous. Mm. Um I was ready to start eating. So I just picked up my fork and began to eat. Within 3 months I had gained enough to be able to go home. And, you know, I'm not going to say it was perfect for the next few years, but it definitely, you know, we just kind of shoved all that other stuff underneath. Mm-hmm. And just I just wanted to be a normal teenager, date boys, whatever. So I did. So there was never a conversation of why is this happening? Why? No. What is going on in her heart that this is happening? We did see a therapist But I refused to talk to him. He did also talk with my dad and my mom. And he he asked my dad questions about me. And my dad had no idea of the answers. And so my dad knew and started to try harder. He took me out on dates, you know, and things. and, and And he did try. And my mom did too. So my relationship with God, you know, got closer. But I still hadn't dealt with the junk between me and God the Father either, obviously. Loved boys spent way too much time with them. And then mm-hmm. at 18, went out west 40 hours to uh, Bible school, T- took the bus 40 hours and went to Bible school and met the love of my life, Trenton Waringa. And he's a farm boy. We dated on and off. And um, and when we got engaged, I went to the Middle East for six months to, as uh, to teach English and be a covert missionary. And, and it was amazing. And I had never been closer to the Lord. And the last week that I was there. Uh, like I, I just enjoyed eating while I was there. I love eating new foods. I just loved it. And so I was eating a sandwich and someone remarked that I'd put on weight <gasps> since I'd gotten there. Oh dear. Yeah. All of a sudden oh. everything comes crashing down and you are faced with yourself again. You're not looking at God. You're not looking at other people. You're just looking at yourself and the weight that God allowed you to put on while you were serving him. That's kind of how you... <laughs> So I'm like, I cannot afford to lose control like this again. And so I go home, a different person. Trent marries a girl he no longer knows. He marries a girl who no longer wants kids because getting pregnant means gaining weight and losing control of your body. And that was the biggest fight of our honeymoon, Mm -hmm. you know. I didn't want kids anymore. The next three years were anorexic again. I uh, stopped eating altogether except for supper and drank a little too much wine, got hooked on sleeping pills because I could no longer sleep. And meanwhile, I was doing ministry. I was doing Young Life Hmm. in the evenings with kids. And then during the day, I was an associate editor for a Christian newspaper. And my life was a mess. So at the end of those three years, you know, we're exhausted. Trent is exhausted trying to just know what to do. We're driving home from a friend's house and I'm at the wheel and I hadn't eaten that day. I'm drinking like 12 cups of coffee a day. Mm. And we were fighting. 
And I started screaming, I just can't do this anymore. And I turned the wheel into oncoming traffic. Trent thankfully grabbed the wheel and pulled us over to the side of the road. And I just sat sobbing into my hands. And and he said, Emily, I can't do this anymore. And this might sound harsh, but it's what I needed in the moment. Mm -hmm. He said, Emily, you need to choose between me and food. Because if you choose me, I mean, if you choose food, food, (laughs) I'm out. It took me actually a few moments, but I, I knew something was wrong. And I chose him, and we decided to start over again. And we quit our jobs. We moved to South Korea and started teaching English. And it's funny because it was during my time in the Middle East that I stopped eating. And going back to South, going overseas again actually helped me start eating again. Just the, just the new experience, new surroundings, the new delight in new food. Mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, just being free of normal pressures in everyday life. And I just started to, yeah, really care about myself, to care for myself and to to eat healthy in a good way, you know, and to learn, to uh, explore those issues that have caused all this in the first place, those daddy issues, those um, mother self-conscious issues, all those things. Meanwhile, and I'm sorry, I know my story is so long, but... Um, oh, it's my- great. My father called me up one day on webcam and said, "Um, Emily, can you watch your mother over webcam while I go and do youth group? And my mom had contracted brain cancer back when I got married. So it was about three and a half years earlier. But we hadn't realized how bad it was. The tumor had been removed and I had no idea. But when I saw her over webcam, you know, she was sitting there drooling in a chair, wearing a diaper, you know, just unable to help herself just completely childlike, um, infant-like. And I knew that I could call my dad on his phone and he'd get there, but it might not be in time in case something happened. And I thought, I have to go home. And that was the beginning of everything, the beginning of my healing, my true healing, just going home, you know, facing my parents again Mm -hmm. and them needing me, you know, Mm -hmm. them needing me to help them and being more than just in the way I was actually needed. And, and it it was very hard to live in my parents' basement for three months while my husband finished up our contract in South Korea. And, and yet, yeah, incredibly, it grew a mother heart in me, um, which I didn't have before. I still hadn't wanted kids. And then as I cared for my mom, like one would a child, that love grew in me, the father's love. And I, yeah, I began to forgive my own father. Mm-hmm. I saw him and how broken he was over my mom and, and that he's just human and that he was trying his best when I was a little girl. He, he was broken then too. We all are. And, you know, it, it was very, um, I, I realized I had been expecting things of my dad that I could only expect of my, my heavenly father. And that's huge, you know, when you just let them go that way. I was old enough to realize that. And that's not to say he was perfect and our relationship isn't perfect, but we've stopped the great expectations of each other, Mm. you know, and just have started to accept each other. So that was really good. For the listeners of The Restory Show, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And today, I suggest that you try Emily's book, A Promise in Pieces. And it is a narrator different than her, but I'm sure it is awesome. And this is a novel that she wrote. Um, It's available at audible.com, and you can download this or any other book that you've been waiting to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. 
Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for a free audiobook. My, my husband came home. We bought a house there in the same town, and, cert- and I cared for my mom for three years. Meanwhile, we, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but um, we started to try for a child. And after a year and a half, became convinced, you know, it's not going to happen. Doctors had told me when I was little that the damage I had done to my body would not allow me to have children. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I started to believe that. And then I went on uh, 100 Huntley Street and told my testimony. And I said that we wouldn't be able to have children because doctors had said this because of my anorexia. And there was a pastor listening to my story. And after the service, he said, can I pray for the both of you? Hmm. He said, my mom wasn't supposed to be able to have children either. And she had me miraculously. So now I feel I'm supposed to pray the same for you. And so he prayed over us that we'd have a son, within, conceive a son within the year. You know, honestly, I was just kind of rolled my eyes. I didn't You're like, like, yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> Thanks you want. for praying. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we were still trying. And um, a month and a half later, we got pregnant. Uh, then we miscarried, mm. which um, then, of course, you know, you lock your heart up for good. And you're like, well, that's it. <laughs> we'll foster care. So <laughs> we went through the foster care training. And at the end of the foster care training, we actually got pregnant again. And, and it was within a year, and it was a son. So that just really showed me the Father's hand in my life in a gracious way. Oh, it was a restoring of mm-hmm. my life in the mm-hmm. beginning, mm-hmm. you know, the, the beginning of a new chapter. And only He can do those things, take people's words and, and make them void. Mm-hmm. You know, say, that, that doctor's voice has no power over your life. Mm-hmm. But we have to let him do that, right? We have to let him take away those words from our life. So, yeah, my mom actually ended up getting better. Um, she, it was mir- miraculous. The doctors couldn't find the tumor anymore. So um, we ended up moving out west near Trent's family because they needed some help, too, with the farm. And it's a beautiful place to raise children. So uh, we've been here since then. Uh, we now have another boy, um, so Aiden and Kasher. Um, we took in two little boys after Kasher was born. We took in them for a year. Their mother had called me up. I'd met her through Young Life. And, yeah, she called up just desperate. She had an abusive boyfriend. She was running away from him. She had no job, no home, um, nothing, and two little boys. Mm-hmm. So. Kasher was only six months at the time, but, you know, we really felt God telling us to do this. People told us we were crazy. They said we weren't taking care of our own kids by doing this. You know, you just, again, have to block out people's voices, you know? I think that's what this is all about, just Mm -hmm. learning to tune in to the right voice. So we did. We took them in on just a step in a prayer, and they became fast friends with our boys. It was the hardest year of my life. Mm-hmm. We had a nanny. I also got two contracts during that year, of course. God <laughs> gives you a contracts when you <laughs> obey him, but have no time. Yes. <laughs> so um, it was a, yeah, a very humbling year. By the end, I was extremely exhausted. And I said, I kind of had the attitude because I had not yet submitted to my Heavenly Father. I was still holding a grudge. Mm. I was protecting my heart. 
because for all the healing, I had not actually gone to my Heavenly Father about everything that had happened. I'd gone to my physical father, but I kind of prayed more to Jesus. And so by the end of that year, I had a bad attitude, and I was like, God, you owe me one. Um, <laughs> so where is it? <laughs> Where's my thing? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I had submitted a dear project to my heart to a publisher, and an editor named John was... Um, reviewing it and it was very hopeful and then they ended up oh before that I re- I was just praying and just heard the Lord say that he had prepared a publishing house for me a family and that the editor's name would be John and you know I again I'm learning to tune out the other voices but I recognized my shepherd's voice I just knew I thought I knew I thought and then John wrote me and said that they had declined the project. Mm. And I just kind of crashed then. Just kind of, I, I thought, I'd, I've given you everything. What do you want from me? I was still that little girl trying to impress her dad. Mm. You know, I got straight A's. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, ugh, whatever. But nothing was good enough. And I thought I couldn't hear God's voice anymore either. So then my friend invited me down to Portland. Um, I went to on just a little mini vacation to see her. And, and meanwhile, she's a counselor. And she, she ended up praying with me for three hours. She took me to a place I hadn't been to yet, and that is to my Heavenly Father. And she, I just remember, you know, in this place, just weeping, just I wasn't able, like God was sitting there. I didn't see his face, but I, I knew he was there. But I couldn't get into his lap or anything. I couldn't be close to him. I just remember falling in front of him and just pounding the ground and just being like, why? Why did you let all this stuff happen? Mm-hmm. And I just remember him coming down to me and just putting his hand on me and just crying with me mm-hmm. and saying sorry. You know, sorry that you had to go through that. I didn't want it that way. You know, it, it's, it's sin, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the way God wants it. Uh, but after that, there was such a freedom because I knew he cared. I knew he cared a lot and that um, I could trust him, you know, with my thoughts. I could trust him to take care of me. And it was actually that weekend that I met up with my agent and she said, I have a surprise for you. Um, she said, there's a publisher that um, they called me up and they're interested. They're wondering if you want to write a travel memoir. Hmm. They've been following your blog and um, it was one editor in particular and, and he would really like to see a proposal from you. And <laughs> I just remember being like, so can I ask what his name is? <laughs> um, yeah, it was John. Oh, wow. So it was the perfect conclusion to that weekend. It was uh, That book ended up being Atlas Girl. Mm. Um and, you know, again, you know, God does these wonderful things and then you go home and he throws your life into <laughs> uh, chaos because, you know, meanwhile, and this is the conclusion of my story, don't worry, but my husband had, is not a visionary. He is very logical farm boy, but he had had a vision of a little girl, just, yeah, chubby cheeks, brown hair, a little girl. And we had thought we were done, you know, but the same day I went for a run and he hadn't told me any of this, but I saw her too. Mm. And so, of course, I come home and I'm like all like telling him what I've seen. And he said, yeah, I saw that too. And so we knew our family wasn't finished. So we began to try and actually it was, a, you know, I think at the end of three months we had conceived and 
I, sh- I was sure this was the little girl, mm. you know. The day before I found out I was pregnant, the Lord spoke to me about her. And, mm. and so I, I, I tested the next day, and sure enough, I was pregnant. And, and so, yeah, I was quite open with people. I didn't wait until the three-month mark, mm. mark. I was just like, if God's going to do this, I trust Him. So then after, you know, I've been through a miscarriage before, but it doesn't make it easier. So, uh, yeah, Um, after a month and a half, the blood came in. The hard part was that I kept kept believing. You know, I Mm. kept hearing the Lord say she would live. I just kept hearing that. And meanwhile, the doctor said nothing was wrong with her. There was blood, but she was fine. Things got worse. There was more blood, more cramping, and I went to the doctor and I mean the hospital and spent the night and and at one point I went to the bathroom and came back out and the nurse went in to check what had happened and and she came out mm. with the sack and mm. she said, Here's the product of your conception. All right. And it was very cold. Um wow. and I thought that's impossible because she's fine. God's, God spoke over her that she would live. Apparently, my body had not agreed with God and just pushed her out. <laughs> you know, it, it thought she was uh, an infection or, you know, bad bacteria. So, you know, that was very, very hard. Um, you see, again, you doubt God's voice. You, you just wonder, am I crazy? And um, I actually stopped it was only for a night and a morning. I stopped praying <laughs> for a night and a morning. But it felt like a long time because the room suddenly went, it was so empty. Mm-hmm. It was just so empty because God wasn't there. Normally, God is there with you, right? You feel him. You're like, but when he's not, I cannot explain the emptiness. And so I went home the next morning and my friend had emailed me and she said, Emily, and she didn't know. Mm. But she said, God placed you really close to my heart this morning. And I want you to know that whatever he spoke to you is true. Mm. You might not understand it. And it's, it's an upside down thing. But he will fulfill it in his timing. And that was enough to keep me praying. You know, for the next year, while we kept trying, that January I got to go on a blogger's trip to uh, Uganda and Rwanda with the organization World Help. And... While I was there, I met my sponsor child, uh, one of them, and I also got to meet his mother. She walked four hours to meet me. Wow. Um, yeah, hmm. humbling. And meanwhile, her, her husband had just died of AIDS. All of her children were being cared for by this children's home. So she was alone at home, a peasant farmer, working so hard and not able to keep any of her kids at home. And I, I looked at her and I looked at John Mark, my sponsored child, and he's looking at me just full of, you know, awe and delight at this sponsor who can pay for him. And I thought, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's one thing to sponsor kids who don't have parents. I totally get that and I do that. But when their parents are there, let's help them take care of their own kids. I'm a mom. Goodness, it's so humbling to have to ask for help and then you know, to have your kids taken away from you, just the worst thing in the world. So I wanted to give her that dignity back, you know, uh, to have him look up at her with pride and joy and not the stranger, you know, that had just flown over there. So I got to visit Islam while I was there. Got to. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it broke my heart, obviously. And I came home and was just, yeah, wrecked. And I knew I couldn't be the same. I knew, um, you know, it had felt like 
home in many ways, and I believe this is because as a little girl, I lived in Africa. And I'm like, oh, this is where my sisters and brothers are. You know, you're so like, I was missing you all these years. Hmm. And, and when you take responsibility for people like that, when they become your family, you have to help them. You know, you can't know that your family is starving over there and you're over here with everything. So I prayed and prayed and prayed and looked for an organization that was partnering with single mothers like I was wanting to and couldn't find anything. And um, especially in the area of of Katwe, Uganda. And uh, so I started a nonprofit very uh, naively. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's not a a little undertaking for sure. (laughs) It felt little at the time. But um, God brought it all together, you know, and... Yeah, today we're actually a 5013C in the States. We've, we've got a team, a very humble team of 30 volunteers who just pour their life and heart into this ministry. We have a paid staff national director who's Ugandan over in Katwe. She's a single mom, and, and she runs our program in the slum. We partner with the local pastors there who are the fathers of our program, and she's mama. And mm-hmm. um, it's a two-year program where we're, um, we're inviting these women to go through training of their choice, you know, urban farming, tailoring, hairdressing, and whatever. And, and at the end of those two years, we, we help them become self-sufficient so that they can in turn help others. And, you know, again, it's just all based on faith and prayer. None of us get paid over here. We're just, we're just begging God to help us mm. every step, every day. It's a lot of work, a lot of spiritual warfare. Uh, we're heading to Sierra Leone also to plant the, the tree there, and uh, we're give, we've been given a house and land there. Tell tell the listeners the name of the ministry. Right, it's the Lulu Tree, and uh, when I was praying about a name, the name Pearl, the Pearl idea of a pearl came to me because you know for months I had been thinking of this pearl in this field that this man had dug up what a pearl like I want that I want to have my that pearl in my life and then Uganda is the pearl of Africa so I thought it'd be really cool to call something about pearl and I know the Lord guided all these thoughts but I didn't really I thought okay pearl house there's already a pearl house then I thought okay pearl tree mm, not quite and then I thought what is pearl in swahili so I looked it up and it's lulu and I looked up the lulu tree and it's actually a real tree in Africa and it goes all across the middle of Africa and it provides it's a very long growing long lasting tree with many roots and in due season it produces shea nuts which are these rich nuts that they can harvest, people harvest, and it feeds them, and it goes for a great price, actually. And I just thought only God could bring me to this name and this promise of this tree that is long-lasting and will produce this fruit. And, and for me, it was just really what I want through this ministry is what I've learned in my life, and that is that I'm a daughter of God. But more like he's an Abba and he sings over me. You know, he quiets me with his love. That's my favorite verse, Zephaniah 3.17. For some reason, John 3.16 is the big verse. But I think Zephaniah 3.17 should be the big verse. Because to know the love of the Father for each of us is so important. Um, And yes, he gave his son. But that's not it. That's not the end of the story. 
He still delights in us. He's still with us right now in this, like in the moment. You know, he has not forgotten us. And that's what I want to tell these women. That's what I want to tell every woman, you know, that she is cherished. She is loved. She's worth fighting for. um, And she is heard. You know, her voice is heard. I love that. I love your, I love your story. And then you came back from there. You started this nonprofit, all these awesome volunteers and people are, you know, being able to work and provide for their children overseas. And, and then I know you must have gotten pregnant in there because you now have a girl who's walking <laughs> around. So how did that happen? I mean, I know how it happened, but yes. Well, we were still trying, and then one day, um, actually, it was the day Atlas Girl released. Um, so the night before, Trent said, "Em, I think you're pregnant." Like he just spoke that to me, and you know, by that point, I wasn't really getting my hopes up. But I took the test, and it was the faintest pink line ever. You had to have a lot of faith to see that pink line, <laughs> <laughs> but I saw it, and I thought, "Okay, this is it." And yeah. Sure enough, we went for an ultrasound around 10 weeks, and I was so nervous, but they said, she is so, or the baby, your baby is so comfortable in there. It's not moving. And I just needed to hear that at that time. And then at uh, 18 weeks, you know, we went to find out the gender, and goodness, I was very nervous. And I thought, okay, I'm still going to believe the Lord loves me, and mm-hmm. he still speaks to mm-hmm. me, even if it's not a girl. But yes, thankfully, she showed all her parts and she was a girl. <laughs> I was like, thank you, honey. <laughs> yeah. So we have our beautiful Aria Hope. And when she was born, she was very colicky. And she's still incredibly strong-willed. She's my feisty one. It's never the way you think it's going to be. <laughs> you just have to keep trusting God that he is working it all out for good and for his glory. How have you learned, I mean, the, last year, my word for the year was trust, which basically just taught me that I'm really bad at trusting. <laughs> uh, it was just like a word teaching for Mary for the year. But how have you learned that word? How have you learned to trust in retrospect as you look back over your life? Well, that's a very good question. I think uh, you can trust the Lord not because of the proof of the things around you. You know, I think of the 5,000 people and him providing the food. And, and he said, you, you, you want me because of what I gave to you. But what about the eternal? And he's going to give. He's going to take away. We cannot base our trust of God on the things around us because this world is full of sin. Uh, and that's an incredibly hard lesson. Yeah. But once we start believing that his voice, once we tune our ear to his voice, the shepherd's voice, because he will speak to you one way or another through dreams or through scripture or through people or through to you directly, mm-hmm. he does still speak and he will guide you. It just probably won't be the way you expected. And he will be testing us. Mm-hmm. He tests us. He, he says, how far will you go? How much do you love me? Peter, mm-hmm. feed, feed my sheep, you know, and he does not give up on us. He gives us chance after chance after chance. So you can trust that, the love of a God who does not give up on you. And that doesn't always mean rainbows and ponies, as you've shared. It, it can mean heartache and strife. And part of that heartache and strife is finding him in the middle of it and him partnering alongside you, helping you endure it with joy, which then becomes a light to people who need to know Jesus because they're confused as to why 
you can fly home and be with your mom with brain cancer and still find joy in the middle of all that. And that's yeah. the, you know, the kernel of the gospel right there is the joy in the midst of the pain. Yes. So how has, and I told you I'd ask you this, this question, but how has God restoried you just in the past year after you had your baby and now that she's almost a year old? Oh, well, I had another book released this year called mm. Making It Home. Um, and, you know, writing has always been a part of me and publishing has always taken way too high of a, a pedestal in my life. I think you can kind of get addicted to the reviews and, and the praise and, and then you just fall flat on your face after. <laughs> because then it doesn't always come too, where you have no. bad reviews and the praise isn't there. And yes. yeah, I'm, I'm resonating with you there. <laughs> I've walked that Yeah. Road. It's, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with having a nonprofit and three kids and a book come out, I really could not pour the time into getting the praise and the reviews that I wanted. And I had to let that go. And I'm learning that it's okay, you know, that I can trust the Lord mm -hmm. with the work of my hands, the stuff that is most important to me. And maybe it was just an act of obedience to get that book out there, you know, to tell what he has done in my life. And I have to surrender it to him. Surrender has been a big part of this year, you know, walking with a colicky baby for hours, surrendering that time. You know, surrendering your vision of those months, you know, like, oh, she's not, I'm not feeling the connection I thought mm -hmm. I'd have here. You know, surrendering the time you used to have with your boys because you now have a third. You know, not having a blog. Right now I'm not blogging because I've had to choose. You have to choose to sacrifice some things and otherwise you'll burn out. So it's really been trusting God with actually the core of me, which is creativity, and just not having time for it right now, and trusting that He will fill that need until I have that time again. Yeah, that's really good. And then there's some people listening to this this show who, um, and I'm thinking of one of the girls I'm mentoring right now in particular, but who deal with bulimia and or anorexia. And I would say that's one percentage of people, but there's a lot of people who, especially women who struggle with body image. So what kind of advice would you give as someone who struggled through this through as a child and all the way up into your adult life? What, what have you learned? You can't get true healing until you face those issues. Yeah. And that's the hardest part because it requires you getting your eyes off yourself. And we often fear that because we're kind of, we're addicted to control. That's what it is because we can't control anything else in our life. And so if you can control your eating, it just, it feels good, you know, for a while. And then it imprisons you. But I know that deep down you want freedom, freedom to enjoy food again, mm -hmm. freedom to enjoy loving life again. You want to be that woman running in the park who's strong and not thinking about her next meal or her next purge, mm -hmm. <clears throat> just thinking about life and how beautiful it is. What is it like to free up our minds to think about things other than food? I believe the enemy uses it as a trap to distract us from our true potential. And I believe that everyone that is addicted has a tremendous gift inside of them that God wants to bring forth, and Satan is distracting you. Mm -hmm. Okay? So I just want to speak that to you right now, that you need to ask God to show you what your gifts are and to ask Him to help you to find the strength to uh, overcome 
overcome this addiction so that you can fulfill the tremendous purpose you have in your life. Mm, I love that. And with that, we'll be uh, finishing the, the interview, but it really ministers to me as well. It's just this idea that I think God has created us all so beautifully unique, and we all have a very particular part to play in the body of Christ. And if if we're preoccupied with something other than that or something other than God, we're going to miss out on this really amazing story that he has for us. So yes. thank you so much, Emily, for your heart, for your desire to see the kingdom advanced, and for your dogged determination to hear God's voice and to <laughs> obey and and even to be real and pout and walk away and come back. Yeah. And, I mean, we're all, we all can relate to that. Um, I'm definitely in that boat right now as well. So thank you so much for your story. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you right now? Jesus, thank you for this time that we've had together to listen to Emily's story. And I pray for those who are touched by maybe a little too close to home of people who are struggling with body image or people who have battled anorexia or bulimia or body image issues. And I just pray, Father, that this would be one of those episodes that causes them to just renew their minds and see their lives and their bodies in a different way. I love what Emily had to say about the fact that there's a great calling on all of our lives and that if we can get distracted by other things, we will miss that calling. But what a beautiful thing that no matter where we are, no matter how broken we are, we still can go forward in that calling. So I pray for those who are listening today who feel maybe they don't have a calling or they may feel disqualified from that calling, but I know the Lord that you have called them in. And I pray you would confirm that this week in very specific ways. Thank you for um, speaking to Emily so clearly. And for those of us who sometimes struggle to hear your voice, I pray this week would be a week where we could speak quiet enough and still enough to really hear your direction and your hope for our lives. So we're just so grateful for the fact that you do interact with your children. And then for those of us who struggle with you as a father, I pray that you would help us to understand that hard thing, Lord, that if we had an earthly father that didn't demonstrate good fatherly qualities, that we could still understand that you are a good, good, good father who loves us, who pursues us, who gives us so much. So we're so grateful for that. Give us a new perspective this week, a new hope, a new way of looking at this world. And I pray for those who are carrying burdens today that you would lift them off their shoulders and that your burden is light you say in your word so help us to give you our burdens thank you so much jesus for creating emily and for creating all of us and for loving us and creating a path for us to walk on we thank you and praise you in jesus name amen if you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information please go to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 14 and may you live a brand new story this week